let me start that again, everyone. Hi, this is Ryan Kramer from Crossover Covers. If you guys couldn't hear me, that's because I have myself on mute, but I apologize for that. This is episode 146 of Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments. Uh, this is my corner of the internet where I bring you the best and brightest of the Amazon and e-commerce space in order to uh, help you grow your business and to help in any aspects of the Amazon and e-commerce life. And that being said, uh, before we get started today, uh, I hope you all are having a great week. But if you're new to the show, Crossover Commerce is presented by Ping Pong Payments. And what is Ping Pong Payments exactly? We are a cross-border payment solution that has helped people transfer more than $150 million a day and now $20 billion a year. So over the course of Ping Pong Payments, they have cross-border payments have converted $90 billion in repatriated money for sellers around the world, whether that's paying your VAs, paying your suppliers and manufacturers, or just if you're selling on multiple marketplaces and you want to get your money back without paying so many fees, go ahead and check out Ping Pong Payments. It's a link in the show notes below or in the comment section. And if you're watching us live on all of our various social media networks, and that being said, we're going to be live on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, as well as Twitter. But then also, if you're listening to this later on the audio versions, we're going to be on your favorite podcast platforms as well. That being said, I won't want to waste any more time without getting into it today. Our guest is Chloe Thomas of e-commerce master plan. Uh, she actually is a podcast host herself, but has also been in the industry for many years. She is a top 30 e-commerce influencer in 2021. I am super excited to have her on in terms of what that means. And obviously what we're going to majorly talk about today is how to successfully grow e-commerce business in these crazy times. Crazy can mean multiple things, right? It can mean growth is unexpected and we need to keep up with it. Crazy can be under the guise of, uh, I have so many things on my plate. How do I alleviate myself in terms of uh, responsibilities or just efforts? And also, how do I how do I figure out all the all the barriers that are being put in place? Right? Uh, prices are growing are going up. Um, logistics are becoming more of a nightmare. If you've been on the show and heard of the show before it's a constant problem that people have to overcome and face on a day-to-day -day basis but that being said we're going to talk about how to kind of walk wade through all of these quote crazy times that being said chloe of thomas of e-commerce master plans our guest today uh welcome to crossover commerce chloe Hello, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on, Ryan. I'm well, very much looking forward to solving that, <laughs> solving everyone's problems. Well, thanks for telling me that I was on mute because it's funny when all these different screens are on, right? Like you get to message me, it's like, hey, idiot, you're no one can hear you. You're just a talking head over here. But no, that's that's uh, that's all on me. So like we were talking before this live shows, sometimes oh, I yeah. press the wrong button and that's what happens. So, uh, but yeah, thanks for hop uh, hopping on. You are uh, joining us today from uh, what what part of you're in London or what, what part of England are you part, coming from? I'm in a teeny tiny part of England called uh, Cornwall, which okay. is- Okay, I know um, where Cornwall is. Ah, okay, right down the far southwest. So I think I think they've been showing Poldark in the US on some channel or other. So I live in Poldark land for those of you who okay. are into that, but we don't dress like that anymore. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a long time ago. Well, I, I actually spent uh, four months in Grantham, England. Uh, obviously, uh, that, that's nowhere near Cornwall, Cornwall, but in terms of that capacity, I, one of my favorite things while studying abroad is just traveling to different parts of England. So, uh, that was one of them. So it was, it was just fantastic over there in terms of the history, which is greater than the United States, but then the ease of travel over there. So, uh, how are things for you, uh, 
in terms of uh, what's going on in England, have you been there the entire time or you've been traveling around or were traveling around? What, what's kind of that history? Well, usually um, in, a, in the usual world, I would be doing quite a lot of traveling. I'd be up, up and down to London quite a lot for different events and, and things. But uh, for the last 18 months, for some reason or other, I haven't left the county. <laughs> I was going to say, are you, you're not even able to, to move about in the county? Um, or uh... we, we can move about. In okay. the UK at the moment, we can pretty much, um, within reason, do whatever we want. But... Uh, it's, it's within reason right yeah within within reason we still have some restrictions but we're basically out of all lockdowns and that kind of thing so um it's kind of it's kind of nice um but uh we we haven't been doing very much to be honest partly because we live in a beautiful part of the country so why go anywhere quite frankly exactly. half, the half the country's come down here so why would we leave you know well, exactly well and i I've, I've told people this too I think this is kind of a, an interesting reckoning of how people have understand the nature of business in a time where you're either forced to, whether it was, you know, 12 months or it was 16 months or in still ongoing, you found a lot of the world really ebb and flow with the times and the capabilities of what we should and can do um, in this nature. And I think that really shined a light on uh, remote uh, capabilities or just like online businesses, I should say, just because of the nature of people's needs and necessities, uh, they can't go out in public, but also for the fact that we can do things like uh, having a podcast show and uh, us meet together over over the course of the internet, and we can talk together in that capability where it's it's so fascinating that all these things, all these things have changed or they've fast forwarded five or 10 years or so. So in that regards, what for you has changed the most besides uh, the travel notion or it has business changed? Has uh, real life changed for you? What, what What's kind of that major factor? I the, the biggest thing is I, I no longer need to travel, if that makes sense. So we, sure. so the business used to have various ways of making money. And because I've been able to be office based and it's, it's forced me to do something I should have done anyway which is to really double down on the podcasting and that side of the business and the summits side of the business and doing things that work remotely that people can, I can do from here and that everyone in the world can tune into if they want to. So the focus of the business has massively changed. So we're now 95% and pushing towards 100% podcasts and summit focused. Um, wow. So we've very much become a content creator rather than any form of consultancy. Well, that, that's what I have found fascinating, too, is businesses that are kind of centralized around the content focus, the education focus, if you will, and help the growth aspect of it. So let's dive right into it, Chloe. So your your background is in uh, e-commerce. Were you Amazon seller, direct-to-consumer seller? What, what Where does that expertise stem from, if you will? Yeah, sure. I started my first job in the world of, of e-commerce was as the mail order marketing manager of a UK high street business. So I, I started off in catalogs um, a, a, almost 20 years ago now and became involved in every element of direct consumer communications. And from the install loyalty card through to the emails and then dabbled in the pay per click. And that was just an amazing I, I found what I loved. I'm definitely a direct marketer. And then from there, I ended up as um, head of e-commerce for a group of mail order brands. So bringing in their first properly functioning websites, you know, the ones where the products are on the page on the day the catalog mails rather than a week after the catalog is in the customer's hands. 
rocket science type stuff. But yeah. It was a lot of fun, huge amount of fun. After a year, we turned what I was doing there into a marketing agency. And I ran that marketing agency through about three different business models over the next 10 years, working both for e-commerce businesses and um, for lead gen as well. So I kind of got to straddle both worlds and take the best of both. Then I sold that marketing agency about three, four years ago. And now I get to focus on e-commerce master plan full time. So I've done, I've attacked the industry from a lot of different angles, but throughout it, I've always been trying to, to help those running e-commerce marketing, whether it's me or whether it's someone else to avoid the waste of not doing what they should be doing and avoid the wasted uh, waste of putting budget into things you shouldn't be. So it's kind of, I sum it up as helping marketers make better decisions. Um, because it's it's the number one question I get asked by people is, Chloe, what should I be doing? Closely followed by, is what I'm doing what I should be doing? <laughs> so that's that's kind of the the world I inhabit. Well, it's fantastic. Well, the, the reason why I think that's so fascinating is because um, it's almost like the, the cutting the fat, right? Uh, if people are lean and mean, you have to, your dollar can only go so far. And that's what we talk about with our company and kind of on the show is, we've seen this evolution even over the course of these last uh, 12 months or so that this podcast has been around of this evolution of prices continuously going up. Uh, if you're a small or SMB or small to business, uh, small to medium business owner, um, you, you've seen your dollar not go as far as it used to. Uh, you used to be able to get containers of goods uh, for $4,000. Now that's gone up, uh, you know, 4X to 8X. Um, you used to see advertising costs sub you know subsequently be pretty consistent across the board go up a little bit but over the past 18 months you've seen that spike continuously it's really hard in terms of if i'm looking to get to either amazon or direct to consumer side of business to know that costs won't continuously go up and it's hard to forecast for that but for what you're telling me how to be smart with your dollars and how to make yourself stretch thin and get rid of this wasted avenue. So what, what, what's the number one thing that when people ask you these kinds of things, what's the number one thing It's like, that's easy, get rid of X, Y, Z or um, change X, Y, Z. What's that number one thing for you? Well, the thing is an annoying answer warning coming up. Um, it all depends on the business. You know, you the thing is you have to go back to the data and see what's working. You know, it, it, see what's working, can we do more of that? See what isn't working and do less of that. Um, and if if people haven't given a good go to email marketing, Facebook ads and Google ads, you know, where you can work out quite quickly if it's going to work for you or not, then they're missing a trick and they should really have given those a good going over. Um, because, I, you know, I often come across businesses like, oh, yeah, we don't do email. It's like, well, we were people were refusing to do email 10 years ago because, um, you know, they were scared of of spamming and they didn't like receiving emails. Now they don't do them because they think it's old hat. And it's like, oh, there's so much money to be made with email. So, I, but, the, but then I find other people who have the same approach to Google ads or the same approach to Facebook ads. Right. You know, we, we feel like Facebook ads is, there's two, there's, you know, it's reached its maximum competitive space and everyone's doing it. I still come across uh, the most amazing retailers who are not yet doing Facebook ads. And it, it's, it's kind of mad really. Um, so, that, so it's anything could be the answer, unfortunately. Right. Well, I, I guess my question to that is, is that because a lot of people, this is maybe where I see a lot of people change their mind is because they, or where they might come from there is, is it because that simply 
people don't want to be they want to be ahead of the curve instead of they want to stick with what is consistent and like don't get me wrong like email marketing is very fascinating you get a consistent open rate you can actually work with the data and analytics right maybe two three percent open rate conversion rate like the data is there if you have the funnel it's the traditional marketing since like you and i are marketing people you have the funnel you can pretty much lay up and guarantee that this amount of people will open uh convert everything like that that seems pretty like like for better word boring do people want to focus on like the exciting the new stuff like i want to be on i want to be trending i want to be um new and cutting edge i want to be stand i want to stand out in these capacities do you think that's why people come from that point of view i think it's it's partly partly that i think it's kind of um we get bombarded as business owners as e-commerce business owners, e-commerce marketers with so many ideas and things and people telling us this is the next big thing this is the exciting thing this is what you should be doing and sometimes we forget to put it through the filter of what skill set have I got in my business? How much budget have I got? Is this where my customers are? Are they going to hang out here? Can we use this to good intent? You know, and sometimes that that distraction and that focusing on the wrong thing comes in because people have been to a conference where someone did an amazing presentation on I don't know Instagram Reels. And so they decided, oh, man, we must do Instagram Reels. And they get back to the business, right, we're going to set up a studio and we're going to train everyone on how to create video and we're going to do at least one reel a day. And then, then someone reminds them that they're selling dishwasher parts. And probably Instagram Reels actually isn't the best option or, you know, they're only they're, they're, this is still a side of the desk thing and they're, they're maxed out on other things. So there's that taking it, you know, what we hear about can distract us. But sometimes it's also people... Um, going, okay, I'm really good at this and this bit I really get. I don't really understand that bit. Therefore, I'm going to go and focus on the bit I don't understand because I think that's my failure. You know, so a lot of it comes back to us not making good decisions and not following our, our core strengths. I think especially for startups, the marketing method that's going to be successful for you is about 50% it's picking the right marketing method, but 50% it's picking a marketing method you actually want to do. You know, it's in those early days, you can you can lose a lot of opportunity by bashing your head against a proverbial brick wall and trying to do something that someone said you should, but you just don't like. Right. Well, I, I think that you've made a really good point. I think it's there's too many options in order to market to people. You have to do what's comfortable and what makes sense to your company. Uh, I've heard it time and time again, especially on this podcast, where uh, guests XYZ have said, you have to focus on, you have to be specific and focused. Don't try to do everything well. Try to do a couple things. Try to do everything expertly, uh, whether that's you know Facebook and Instagram, or you add your audience is just on Instagram or your audience is just on all these marketing platforms. What, why do you think people get so overwhelmed of if they come to you for advice, they're like, I want to do like that person. Do you see that a lot of, I see my competitor X, Y, Z. I want them to do, I want to be just like that. Do, is that a red flag to you? Or is that kind of like, whoa, 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 let's, uh, let's talk about this for a second. And yeah. then you have to like reel them back. Yeah. It's like, that might be a good move. I'm not saying it's not a good move, but <laughs> let's actually sense check it and go back to what are you trying to achieve? What's your brand message? What's your your relationship with your customers? Who are your customers? Are they actually there? You know, and 
it may be that it's a kind of almost a fluke that that company's great at that marketing method because the, the son of the owner just happens to be a ninja at SEO or something, you know? And it's like, well, you're never going to be able to invest that kind of money and get that return because he's got a 16-year-old who's great at it who he can hire very cheaply. Uh, you know, it's, exactly. There's, there's all these factors you don't, you don't necessarily know. So it's great to watch the competition, but always take it through that filter. So I take people through, uh, in that situation, I take them back to, let's think about that customer journey. And I have a, a model I use called the customer master plan, which um, is breaks us breaks e-commerce down into those key customer stages. So you've got all the people out there in the world who may or may not have visited your website. You've then mm. got people who visited your website. Then you have the people who have in, who added themselves to your email list, the inquirers, followed by the first time buyers, then your repeat buyers, they bought twice and then you've got the regular buyers who bought more than twice. And our job as marketers is to work in between the gaps of those stages. You know, so we're either trying to get people from being in the world to visiting our website. We're trying to get people from a visitor to either an inquirer or a first time buyer. Or we're trying to get people from first time buyer to repeat or from repeat to regular. And, you know, to simply draw on a sheet of paper a box for each of those stages and go, what are we currently doing to get the world to our website? What are we currently doing to turn a visitor into inquirer and so forth? Where are the gaps, first off? And if you've got gaps, that's what you should be filling. So find something to fill that gap. And if you don't have any gaps, when the next question is, when did you last review the performance of what you're doing in each of those boxes? Because if you turned it on a year ago and you haven't gone back, that's probably where there's quite a bit of opportunity. And then you get into how well are we actually performing in each area? And right. then can we improve it or do we need to try something else? But by creating that structure, um, it, it helps people avoid that trap of going, we need to do Facebook ads. You know, it's like, no, you don't need to do Facebook ads. You need to recruit more new customers or you need to turn more existing customers into, you know, first time buyers into repeat buyers. Right. And then it's, how do we do that? Well, Facebook ads could be an option. So it gets people to think a bit more strategically about their choices rather than looking at these kind of bright, shiny objects of the platform that everyone's shouting about. I like the filling the gap uh, idea that you were talking about of, hey, we, we don't have to reinvent the wheel, but what we do have to do is make sure that people can go download those quote unquote proverbial funnels and make sure that they can get down the line in that regards. Like we're, we're not selling at the end of the day, the product is what it is, but we have to make sure that it gets, it makes sense for this person and this person and these categories get down the line. So, so seems, seems pretty simple in that regard, regards, Chloe, what, how are we, how are things changed in that regards over the past, maybe 12 months or so? Have people been even more overwhelmed or are they getting, are they reshifting their focus away to more simplistic natures of, Hey, we need to get away from all these additional ideas and try to like, be trending and get back to the basics essentially is that where you're seeing a lot of people refocus on i mean i think it's been it's been a fascinating last 12 18 months because we had that kind of most people saw a massive peak in orders then uh, in the last kind of oh, are we in august in the last kind of four months we've seen not entirely a plateauing but a back to some form of normality where we're up on two years ago but we're down on the big lockdown peaks so there's been this kind of roller coaster of, of 
where do we get stock? How do we get it to people? And the kind of firefighting. And now we're settling into more of a business as usual space, which I think when you have one of those kind of like crazy time periods, you know, purposefully using the name of this episode, um, you, you end up doing the firefighting and then you have to take a beat and go, hold on, how should we actually be approaching this? So the key things, are, I, the kind of three key things that I've seen people doing, um, one is that they've invested more in the softer marketing areas, partly because demand was so huge, they had spare time um, in the marketing department to go and spend some time on social or on blogging or on outreach. So I think those areas have finally got a little bit more attention, which is good because one of the big trends, I think one of the hugest trends out of what we've been going through is the acceleration of the customer's desire for some kind of emotional connection to the businesses they're with. You know, whether that's that they've seen um, that, you know, they want to be buying from the brand that's doing something good for the planet or something good for humanity or whether they they like buying from that brand because they they have the same lifestyle as the owner. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, the small to the very big uh, emotional engagement pieces, which for which you've got to be doing content and you've got to be better understanding the customer and you've got to be doing the social side of things. And then the third one is that the pace of analysis has sped up. So whereas previously I'd be saying to people, you know, once every three months, step back to that customer master plan model and go, where are our gaps? Where are we failing? Now it's more of a monthly process. And right in the, in the depths of the, the huge increase, it was more of a weekly process. Hold on, where are we dropping the ball? Because you need to step back more often and go, where is the gap? Where, where have we let the ball drop? Where is the problem that we most need to solve? So a lot of reporting got sped up and analysis got sped up that led to, hopefully, for those who were doing it well, some streamlining of reporting processes and some more hard and fast analysis of actually, is this worth the effort? Is this report worth us producing to try and flip the amount of time spent creating spreadsheets into time spent analyzing the impact of those spreadsheets? Right, and looking at the data and making sure that it makes sense and you can understand it and not just dis discount it, for example. I think a lot of people are, like you said, Chloe, more, more apt into what is the data telling me? What do I need to, you know, just actually listening to it. And I think a lot of people want to force things upon their customer base instead of letting them dictate, you know, this is how we consume your brand, your uh, products, your all these different things. And I think that's what's crazy about maybe over, not just not oversimplifying it, uh, but you want you need to in, in regards. People want to think that it, there's more to this when in fact data's telling them we just we like your brain because of X, Y, and Z, and that's it. Like just continuously hammer at those core products and more and more people will will find that in that regards. Super fascinating. So in that in that context, you and your business are is it more content marketing or what I like to call it is amplified marketing, right? You're teaching people, you are educating con uh, through content, whether it's a video, blog, audio, any in that regards, making it super niche in that industry. Is that where kind of this, this swing, if you will, has, has starting to lead people of be a 
be an educational leader and your and be an expert in your in your area, your facet, your your service, whatever that might be. If I'm selling dog treats, I'm going to be an expert in all things nutrition. I'm going to uh, like in all things that dog treats can potentially touch. I'm going to be an expert. And if people want to understand that category, they're going to know I need to go to Ryan's podcast and I need to listen to all the new nuances of that, or I need to look at his blog for the new and upcoming things or buy his products because he knows exactly what he's talking about. Is that where we're seeing the shift towards as well? Um, I think expert is one of the ways in which people can go about creating that strong connection with the customer and making their brand stand out. But I don't think mm -hmm. you always have to be, you know, if you're, if you're a dog treat business, you don't necessarily have to be the expert in the nutrition side of it. You could be the expert in, um, you know, rewarding or training your dogs, or you could just be the brand who just does nice things for dogs. You know, I was recording a podcast uh, recently with someone who was talking about how one how there's a dog uh, food brand in the UK who, when uh, their customers reach a certain level of loyalty points, they make a donation on their behalf to one of the dog charities who look after after dog strays. So it's amazing. There's like the um, it's it's a it's a brilliant idea which I will be mentioning multiple times to people because I think more businesses should do this sort of thing. It's not just about giving the customer money off. Um, but but that creates you know the connection with the customer by saying we really love dogs in this particular instance you know and it it just creates that yeah they really care about dogs and stray dogs and we really care about dogs and stray dogs so we're going to keep buying from them you know and it can be about sharing the story of how the business was founded or getting behind the scenes of the products there are lots of different ways of doing it it doesn't necessarily mean you have to become um, you know a PhD in dog nutrition, right? But it is a very valid way of going about doing it. But it's what fits with your brand, right? I, I think the the other thing that's really captured me because a lot of people are, and uh, I've had these conversations with Amazon sellers before. Is how do you how do you reward people and continue to build that loyalty around it? Um, obviously, direct to consumer, you can either do loyalty points or you can do uh, buy one get one free, or you can say like, hey, you get a discount if you purchase a certain amount. Um, Amazon's a little bit more strict in that regards of how you how you reward people. Um, but I like the nature of, hey, your your product and making it kind of whether it's an insert or whether it's in certain sort of capacities of, hey, we appreciate you supporting um, our products. We hope you enjoy your product XYZ, letting you know like proactively part of the proceeds of you purchasing from us. We're donating back to our local like YMCA, for example. And for every donation that or purchase you made, we're gonna donate, you know, one on behalf. It's almost like the uh, Bombas model, if you will, the the brand, uh, the sock model of socks are not sexy, like let's be honest. But everyone's wearing them. There's always two. Um, but they played the they played the notion of you buy one pair, we donate a pair, and therefore, you know, the more you buy, the more we donate, kind of in that capacity. So I think that donation and almost giving back, if you will, in some sort of capacity, whether it's like I'm planting a tree or I'm donating a product or money is going to an organization, it really cultivates that loyalty. Is that where consumers want to be able to engage with more brands? Is is that where we're seeing maybe not enough wins, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's kind of two angles to it that I've I've come across as, you know, heard theories and, and so forth about. One is is this a, a phrase which uh, in the UK we have um, a genius lady of the high street called Mary Portis, who is 
ludicrously clever about these things. Um, and she, I saw her speak at a conference a couple of years ago now, and she was talking about how consumers have moved from wanting status symbols to wanting status stories. So we don't okay. want, um, you know, the Rolex on our on our what on our wrist. Um, we want to be able to go to our friends when they come around for a barbecue and say, "Oh, these sausages! I got them from Tom the butcher." And uh, Tom the butcher rears his own pigs, and they're this special breed. And they want, you know, we want to basically bore our friends with the story of why <laughs> we are awesome because we chose that product. Really. You know, so, this, which, which I think hits on every generation, um, you know, whether you're 80 or whether you're five at the moment, that just seems to be something we like to do. We like to feel good because of our purchasing decisions. And then you've got the Gen Z, the millennial age range who, quite frankly, they want to know that what they're buying isn't doing the world harm. You know, they want to know about the recycling plans. They want to know about the charity plans. They want to know that this is sustainable, ethical, um, not, you know, that, that, that it's a company which isn't doing anyone any harm and that's trying to heal the earth. And I oversimplify that massively, but there is that trend as well coming through at the youth market, which I think is beginning to dribble up through and is another one of those elements which I think we're all coming out of the pandemic thinking a lot more about how our actions impact on the wider world. I think we'll drop off a bit because we'll get back to normal, but I think we're still going to see that continuing through. And we're seeing a lot more brands um, embrace that as part of their marketing strategies. I like how you said, uh, to listener out there, uh, bore people to death with the stories because it's true at the end of the day, like, Right. We uh, as a parent or something like that, like, oh, my kid bought this for me because like they, they know my favorite color is green or something along those lines. Uh, and, and and it spoke to them and they're super proud to like don it or, you know, share it off with people. I think, like you said, it's a story behind the product. No one likes just transactional things of it, it could be it could be. Um, for, for the people in our space, like we, I call them land bros, right? Like you see people are super successful. They're like, oh, you can earn lots of money and you can drive cars like me. Okay. If you, if you want to be successful in that, that's great. But actually if you change your message to, I grew up not getting, not getting to pick out my, my parents never were able to afford things for Christmas for me. I always, my favorite, my most cherished toy was a quote unquote toy Lamborghini that my dad bought me. And he goes, one day I hope to get you the carver journeys, whatever that might, whatever that might be. In that story, you can start to say, I worked my butt off in order to get where I'm at. Now I can buy my dream, whether that might be a car or my parents' house, or it can be as simplistic as my, my family no longer has to work the entire life. It can be that story that catches people instead of, uh, hey, uh, you can have money to have transaction X, Y, Z. Like that doesn't correlate with, I want to say majority of the world, um, but do you, do you think like that's the, that, that shift back to that story, you think a lot more people are, are taking that route, if you will? Yeah, I, I think we are, we are certainly shifting in that space. I think there's always going to be an element of people who want to have the status symbol. Um, it's, it's inevitable. Did you see on, on Instagram, um, the guy who was, who did the whole video of his friends who he goes on holiday with and 
how much they earn and how much they can afford to, to spend on a holiday and whether they're willing to go to third world locations. I have not, but I, this is a good story. Like continue. <laughs> so, so um, it was called, cool. he called it his Forbes list and he was doing, it was either on TikTok or Instagram. I found it on Twitter because I'm old, uh, but, but he posted it on one of the, the, the new people's platforms. And it was him explaining this spreadsheet he created to organize holidays with his friends. And you had to be earning over $250,000 to be on the list. And it was how many weeks a year you could go on holiday, how much you were willing to spend per week on holiday. And he was literally just sharing the whole thing. And it properly went viral because the guy at the bottom of the list was called Broke Bobby because he only earned a quarter of a million dollars a year. You're just like, do you, do you not live in the same world as the rest of us? It was I mean, just I, yeah, there, there's lots so, of questions we can ask about that. Yeah. Like where does do his friends know about this list? Do uh are they okay with that? And again, quarter of a million dollars a year, fantastic for lots of people. Like mm. I think everyone would take that on a on a on a any day uh of the week. Uh but that that's super oh gosh i can't believe yeah, now, now you're gonna have to share that with me yeah, like that, that's a fantastic video like, you distracted for the rest of the episode but but it, what you know there's certainly a status symbol element in there and it was about going on holiday and it was about you know one of the columns which i i found quite in, in intriguing was willing to travel to third world destinations which you would imagine when it starts out with that spreadsheet that these are people who want to go to Dubai, they want to go to Aspen, they want to go to Val d'Isere, they want to go to um, Monaco or something like yeah, that. The yeah, the Seychelles, Monaco, all those kind of jet set places. But actually, one of the key criteria on this was will you go to a third world destination? Because clearly they're getting some kind of cachet and status from going somewhere that other people wouldn't go or that makes them appear more humble. So it, there's still status symbols there, but I think they're changing and they are by their very nature becoming more experiential and becoming more about the stories we tell around things and the and products therefore need stories as well. Interesting. Well, yeah, I would think, uh, I mean, I would say that your money goes farther in a third world country, but that doesn't seem to be the issue with the, this group of quote unquote friends, but uh, yeah. fascinating. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess when people find success, it, it's very fascinating. When, when people are exiting this business and we're kind of talking about uh, for a listener out there who who's who's copped in, whether it's on, uh, you know, our podcast or on our live stream, we're talking about how to successfully grow an e-commerce business in these crazy times. Um, Chloe, I'm, I'm kind of curious about your take on this. We, we've seen lots of uh, headwind about uh, quote unquote aggregators in the space and how they've taken businesses, whether they be successful already, but then they take it to another level, right? That's their whole model of, how do I how do I facilitate and take this brand from what his growth status is right now, and how do I grow it internationally? Are you following this trend, or what, what, what's kind of your take, if you will, on purchasing brands outright and building this portfolio? Albeit it could be hundreds, if not uh, tens of brands, tens of brands, if not hundreds of brands that they're trying to grow and kind of create this successful portfolio if you will is that is that a trend that you're monitoring closely or what's your take on that it's not one i'm monitoring closely but it is one i'm aware of okay um and it seems to be one that's happening more and do correct me if i'm wrong on this that seems to be happening more in the amazon fba world it is than it is in the um in the the d2c shopify type world which is one of the reasons i'm not following it that closely because i tend to 
tend to hang out in own site right. world rather than marketplace world. But I, I find it quite fascinating, and it's it's amazing how some of these these um, kind of aggregators, you call them, you know, they're getting into the Inc. Five Hundred, and they are seriously they are. serious businesses, which my mind slightly boggles because you're on a platform you don't control and if mm -hmm. amazon gets annoyed with you or ebay or whichever marketplace you're on then you can quite quickly lose it all but then i suppose if you've got multiple brands you're somewhat more set it it makes it makes a lot of sense from a you have so much overhead and therefore the more brands you've got going through that overhead and learning that skill set you should be able to make more margin and you should be able to make more profit but um, I'm always slightly skeptical of such um, structures because I told you earlier about the high street retailer where I started mm -hmm. off managing the catalogs. That was a company, an overall company who were trying to do the same thing with uh, multi-channel retailers. And we went under because the theory didn't work. So um, <laughs> amongst many other ways. So I'm always a little bit skeptical of these. Um, they're not for me, but I, I find it very, very fascinating what they managed to achieve. Well, there, there's, um, to that point, I've, I've, I've looked at the trend and we kind of monitoring this. It started very, very much. It ramped up quickly at the beginning of the pandemic, maybe like, uh, February or so of 2020, uh, you see lots of money being invested, but the, the fascinating thing you're starting to see trends is like, not all these people are going to like, it, it's almost guaranteed. Not all of these businesses can exist in the same space. It, it doesn't make sense. There's, there's not enough, um, there's a lot of space in Amazon or in on direct to consumer, right? But there's not a lot of space in terms of having everyone compete for the same quote unquote brand. But there was something that came up, uh, I'm going to say two days ago, whereas number one, uh, I say dog treats, it, it's, um, uh, I forget the brand off the top and I could probably find it as we're con uh, conversing, but there is, it, it was a brand that was purchased for this number is going to sound crazy. They sell directly on Amazon. They started on Amazon, but then they have diversified into uh, PetSmart, onto Target, and uh, omni-channel presence. Mm -hmm. And they have their own direct-to-consumer website because I, I checked them out. I was like, can I even buy their goods on this website? You certainly can. Based in uh, Florida, they were purchased for a, not a hedge fund company, but a company of equity uh, for $615 million US dollars, uh, their entirety. So it's all e-commerce based no physical retail stores. It was one of the largest transactions I have ever seen. I think uh, to date, I think uh, brand wise, that was native to digital in terms of all of its, mm -hmm. it's number one in like dog treats on Amazon, but also is in retail stores. They have physically had no retail locations, but all their products are sold directly online. That, that money is over close to a billion, or like half a billion dollars. Mm -hmm but they're still, I believe, operating and, but they were purchased for that, like almost under this under other umbrella. That's an insane amount of money. It's a, it's a whole never the other stratosphere in terms of what people are seeing value in terms of the ability to sell directly to consumers, again, uh, driving traffic to their website, but then also understanding the marketplace aspect of I can sell in retail stores super valuable to lots of brands. I can sell on Amazon, which is a marketplace that constantly changes. And we all know this, um, but the eyeballs are there. So if someone has figured out all these different dimensions, I call them three pillars, right? Mm -hmm. Sell in retail uh, directly. Uh, so wholesaling, or you can sell online on Amazon, FBA marketplace or marketplaces in general, and then direct to consumer. Those three models, if you've kind of figured out all three of them, you're going to be instantly valuable. And again, 
600 and I want to say 15 million US dollars. Nothing to sneeze at. That's quite an investment for a company that is just going to acquire you or put equity into you, whatever, whatever the transaction looks like, but it's so fascinating. Do you, do you see, have you seen businesses get not gobbled up or like partner with them in that capacity? Or is it almost on a different side of things where they just can't, they want to, it, they, they fill a hole in someone's space. Do you, do you think that's kind of the genesis or the beginning and kind of the core principle of all of this? I, I think it's currently quite trendy in the VC space to be investing in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I, what I would absolutely love to, to know about that deal, which I suspect it's impossible to get our hands on. Oh, I'm going to look it up here. If I'm looking at my yeah. side, I got my phone right, but, right at the ready. It'd be really fascinating to know what the multiplier would look like. So how much they would be willing to spend on that business. If the turnover, you know, the annual sales was the same, but they were only on one of those three channels or they were only on two of those three channels, because I suspect that the fact they were doing well in all three massively upped the sales. Because the thing is, if you're, you know, I see the, you know, wholesale play clearly going to make a lot of sense for them, the wholesaling into retailers, but you are not in control of that route to market. You know, again, just like being on Amazon or a marketplace, you're at the, you know, the, the will of the buyers and how much they like your product and how much over the years you keep delivering what they and their customers want. Same thing on the, on the Amazon and the marketplaces platform. So there's only one channel you're really in control of. So it's, it's very intriguing how, how by having two risky things and one more le- less risky thing, you can massively increase the value of the business. Right. Um, the brand is, yeah, the brand is called Zesty Paws. And uh, the, the, the brand is <laughs> keeping your bestie feeling zesty, uh, which is a funny tagline. I, mar- we're talking marketing. That's a lovely uh, tagline. But uh, from what I could tell, they are uh, treats, but also probiotics, uh, lots of supplemental products for your uh, for your canine, obviously, friends, your family, whatever you want to call it. But the the company that purchased them was H&H Group. Uh, I believe they're, uh, I'm not sure exactly where their headquarters is at, but yeah, $610 million to acquire the U.S. Pet Supplement brand Zesty Paws. Enterprise value at $610 million. So that that's kind of something that has intrigued me. Uh, another thing that I know our friends of, you know, both Ping Pong, but also there, there's been this, uh, there's been this acquiring of third party abilities, right? Logistics space. We haven't even talked about the craziness of logistics and what's going on right now. Um, for third party direct to consumer brands, right? They can have their own warehouse. There's three party sellers. They can, you know, really partner with lots of different entities on Amazon side. It's all, if it's fulfilled by Amazon, which is really cost effective to a nature, or if you can do it directly by merchant. Um, that being said, one of our uh, companies in the space actually acquired a business of similar magnitude where they had all these brands underneath their umbrella, but also with it, the ability to have warehousing in a couple of different locales in the United States specifically. Super fascinating because that that makes me tend to think that there's going to be this reliance on not just on Amazon's fulfillment network, but distribution to different retailers uh, or or, uh, individuals and customers and their own warehousing system. Because if you're only solely relying on your goods being on Amazon, you really don't have the capabilities to, if we have to happen to go through what we did in March, 2020, they shut down, they don't allow in goods that are non-essential. 
um, under these certain kinds of categories. And all of a sudden you're up, you're up the Creek without a paddle and you can't sell on that platform because your inventory doesn't exist. It's either out or you can't get new one in. So I thought that was also fascinating. And even if your inventory is in there, they might slow down their ability to dispatch your product because it's not deemed as important as something else. So yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because there's clearly, if you're selling on Amazon, there's a huge benefit to be to being on the FBA program, mm-hmm. yeah, especially so in Europe, where they will then um, deal with pan-European sales elements right. for you, which is a whole headache gone. It's a headache. You know? I've talked to many people about it. It's like pan-European, but then also take out London, or take out England uh, from that because of our uh, our lovely uh, the lovely event of Brexit, which yeah. I'm sure you you're dealing with constantly. Why that's such a headache of selling directly, just specifically in Le- or England. I keep saying London. It's not more than just London. You lovely people in Cornwall, for example. There's more than just London in England, uh, the UK, for example, and then also everyone else in Europe. It, it's so difficult to navigate. Which one do you want to go into? Do you go into specifically the UK, or do you go into uh, Germany, for example, which is the second biggest marketplace on Amazon, but also in terms of just sales in general, there's lots of happenings mm-hmm. in Germany, but there's marketplaces in each different country. So again, we're talking about crazy times. There's so much happening in the world. How, how do how do we navigate all these different growth factors that we can potentially get into, but then also how to make it more simple in that regards? Do you like, well, is there is there other <laughs> i think it's the it's the perennial challenge in in e-commerce but to be fair in any business but i think in e-commerce more than most of there is just so much at any point in time an e-commerce brand could be doing you know if they're a, an amazon seller they could go and sell on other marketplaces they could create their own uh, d2c website they could start wholesaling to retailers you know and that's just big channel decisions, let alone all the small scale stuff they could do within the Amazon platform itself. The same thing, you know, if you're running your own D2C, D2C website, so many things you could endlessly do. And then you've got which countries do you go into? Where do you choose to sell? It's, it's an endless set of decisions and you can never be, you know, perfect with any of those decisions because we don't live in a crystal ball world. You know, I'm sure there are brands who their big play for 2020 was to go into international selling and they had all the ducks lined up and they launched it in maybe January, February, and then March came and the postage and the delivery timelines just went through the roof. And that's, you know, game over essentially because the the postage costs have not yet come down. They're still pretty horrendous cross border and the time spans are still horrendous cross border. They're spiking too in October through the rest of the year, actually. Um, That was at least domestically here. We were told that, um, there's going to be this this surcharge, if you will, not just in November, December, which makes complete sense. But I believe they said as early as uh, late September, early or all of October, just because people are trying to get out ahead of it. And that goes back to the whole cost and the the essence of selling online. Are all these costs going to be worth it? It's all going to be playing with my margins. How do we effectively price products where it seems like a deal, but then also I'm not just like losing money per transaction? There's all these different things that, you know, getting my goods on time, I have no idea if my goods are going to sit on the water, if I'm going to get it into my warehousing, into Amazon in, a, in, a, in an effective amount of time, because not just small and medium-sized businesses, but this industry is affected by the likes of Fortune 100 businesses, right? They get their goods from international uh, areas. They're trying to get into a domestic locale. 
and then they're going to sell them in their in their retail stores or whatever. But we all use the same systems of logistics of trying to get goods from point A to point B, whether it be uh, uh, ocean or freight or of uh, you know air. However, it gets to us. It's it's everyone's playing the same game. If you're an entrepreneur and you're a business, you're all playing the same game logistically. It's just how do you how do you forecast ahead of time? And that that's kind of the the headache that constantly people are being put under. Um, do you have advice in terms of for the sellers now? Is, is there people that you're relying and trying to point people to in terms of, hey, maybe we should start focusing on this before we get ahead of ourselves? Well, I think first and foremost, you need backups. So if you currently only 100%. use one career, you've got to have a backup career ready to go when everything goes wrong. Um, you, when you, you said when, every listener, she said when, not if, when. Because well, yeah, I, I think you have to assume it will, partly because whatever, however good, you know, have a premium a career you've chosen to go with, it is still kind of the gig economy. It still right. all depends on the criminally lowly paid person at the end of it doing a decent job of delivering your parcel and being there and turning up for work and all the rest of it and even the premium guys still have that same I mean they they treat their they tend to treat their staff better they tend to have better retention rates but it's still the same model it is an inherently difficult model and one that it's not that scalable um so you know you have to assume it's going to go badly so you need those backups in place um and you know that also goes i think for getting your product to you i would certainly be looking to get product landed sooner um <laughs> this year 100 um, and i would be you know if if international is a big part of it i'd be looking to have product landed in the country you intend on selling it in the next month or so yeah because, not, you know yeah absolutely it just takes a huge part of the risk out of the way so i think backup plans contingency plans and keep your couriers in the loop on what's happening with your order volumes i know forecasting is truly tedious but doing those forecasts sharing those forecasts means that if everything goes horribly i used if that time if if everything goes badly um and they're having to throttle the, uh, the volumes, they are going to treat those who have been keeping them in the loop um, accurately better than those who don't. Absolutely. So you, you've got to play the game, basically. I'll steal, I'll steal a phrase from uh, one of the tabs on your website. Keep optimizing. Um, yeah. which, uh, I, I want to transition quickly on this like last 10 minutes or so that we have you, Chloe, of your podcast. And I think that people are understanding like everything we're talking about today is just very is super high level. And like we mentioned before, it's nuanced depending on the area, the the different divisions that you might be selling in, or just just the product and the service that you're offering in itself. What that has to entail um, for expertise, you have you have the ability to talk with other experts in the space in multiple different ways. But specifically, I'm really excited because you were you were named a top. I want to go back to the stat that I said at the top of the the show. One of the top 30 e-commerce influencers in 2020, according to Scurry. Which is no small feat. You were you were identified that with that. So I'm curious uh, to hear your thoughts on that specifically, but then also the reason why the podcast exists, what you're planning to do with that, and kind of break into that, if you will. 
Sure, well, it's very lovely of Scurry to have named me. I'm not quite sure what the algorithm was they used to determine it, but I guess I guess I'm sufficiently noisy at things. Um, and you know, <laughs> Give me both. Over the, yeah, over the last 15 or so years, I've somehow managed to get to this point where I'm well known in some circles and completely unknown still in others, which is fine by me. Um, but you know, it, it's it's very nice to get those kind of plaudits, and it. it yeah. It helps me get onto podcasts like yours, so I'm very happy with it. Um, as to, to what we're doing in the podcast, both pod, both my podcasts exist to help e-commerce practitioners on the own site side of things. That's where we focus the great majority of our of our coverage is on those selling from a Shopify, a Magento, a WooCommerce, that sort of thing. And um, on the e-commerce master plan podcast, we talk to a different retailer every week about just sharing the story, the inspiration of why they're doing what they're doing, how they're doing it. And it could be anything from, um, you know, someone who who's just turned their side hustle into a full time gig. Um, and they, you know, they're fast approaching that 50 to 100,000 turnover level, you know, annual sales level, right the way through to someone who's doing um, multiple millions of dollars a year and running multiple brands and selling on multiple platforms as well. So that's always eclectic, always interesting, and always, you know, some some nuggets to be picked out, whatever size your business is. And then on the Keep Optimizing podcast, um, each week I interview a different marketing expert, and each month we focus on a different topic. So um, this month we've been doing what we've called the new new because we've been up and running for just over a year now. So I get I've done like a mop up month in August right. where we've We've grabbed the topics that didn't warrant a whole month. We've done like TikTok and live stream, um, YouTube ads goes live tomorrow and a couple of other things. Um, but we go back to normal in September where we'll be doing organic social media and then loyalty content. We have months on Facebook and email. You know, we, I just try and find people who've got really interesting takes on it who can share really good strategies. And it's all about helping people grow their e-commerce website with hopefully not giving them too many distractions of things they shouldn't be doing. Right. Hey, I, I I love that concept, and I, I think that's so fascinating. Especially like if for a listener out there, if you, you haven't been to e-commerce master plan again, we're going to link out to this in the show notes below. But your latest episodes were so fascinating to me. Again, selling on eBay, uh, selling uh, baby leggings, uh, seven figures in seven years. But then you also cut over to uh, Etsy. Then you also cut over to Amazon. But then you kind of like have all these different topics very similar to this show so i'm super jealous uh for you by the way uh <laughs> hopefully we, we can start trading off some uh, guests if you will but 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 the fact that there is so many so much opportunity out there in different marketplaces different uh ways to go about it and the the show what, what i'm assuming is the point of reference from you and i i think it's very evident by just talking with you is how do you get people's perspective kind of hone in a little bit but and then add it to their business today. Like, how do you make it applicable today instead of in theory a year down the road? Or how do I, how do I, that doesn't apply to me because everything ties back to, uh, you know, something that I'm not doing right now. But no, the, your show seems, and what I've heard is very focused, very, uh, you know, your, your guests are so high level, but you really keep them your foot to the fire of how are we going to make my listener better today. And I, and I appreciate that as a podcast host, but also as a consumer of, of e-commerce, um, mm. you know, content as well. So congratulations on the success first and foremost, being recognized as a, a top influencer. That's fantastic. Um, all, all the recognition you deserve, uh, from, 
from what I can hear, it, it's super fantastic. Is, is there plans to continue to grow that out? Um, diversify is two enough. Are you looking for five shows? Uh, what, what's kind of the plan down the road for that? Well, unfortunately, there's only one of me. So there's a limit to just <laughs> how many shows I can do. But um, I have, you know, we are, this year has been about really kind of consolidating our processes around the podcast to get them, you know, really doing well and, and growing nicely. And going into next year, there probably will be more podcasts. Who's doing them? How we're doing them? I'm not quite sure yet, but there's a lot of e-commerce topics still to be covered. Um, and, you know, the listeners love that. That I, I just love the way you can create that mixture of both inspiration and practical advice. And you can, you know, you can jump onto something where you both get the inspiring story and you get solid practical things that you could actually do, even if sometimes they're, well, that's really interesting. But now I know I shouldn't touch this with a barge pole, which, you know, recently we've done the episode on TikTok. And we did the episode on YouTube ads. And for different reasons, each of those may well be things the listeners are going, I'm really glad I know more about that. But I'm ignoring it for at least six to 12 <laughs> months or possibly forever, which for me is a result because it means they can go box that bit off and go and think about something else instead. Right. Exactly. Right. We were, uh, Shiny object syndrome, as I like to call it, is a real thing in the world. And as entrepreneurs, this is the, uh, and we are a finance company, but you only have your currency that everyone has is time. And that's the one thing that if we are spending on one thing, you're not spending on another. So how do you diversify that time and make it actually apply back to your business? So uh, Chloe, I know I've, I, we're hitting the, hit the top of the hour, but to reach out to you, to follow your podcast or uh, to connect with you, what are the best ways to do that? I know we have your LinkedIn handle there at the bottom, uh, Chloe Thomas e-commerce, which I love that. Uh, you, you've branded yourself within your your Instagram handle, which I need to do that more. Ryan Kramer one, what what is that kind of like handle? That's so dumb. Uh, but I've anyways, had some awful ones over the years though. So anyway. <laughs> it's like <laughs> our email. It's like our email addresses, right? Like we had some really bad email addresses that were tied back then. But yeah, we start to get more and more branding and focus. But how how do people reach out and connect with you? Uh, well, yeah, like I say, I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so you'll almost certainly find me there. Also, ecommercemasterplan.com is the best place to go to. There you'll find information on both the podcast, my books, and anything else we're up to. And you can sign up to our email list to get all the many, many things we seem to share every week um, to help you improve your business. So ecommercemasterplan.com. Are, uh, are you doing an episode a day to keep the to keep the... I, I'm trying to come up with something crazy, like not the doctor way, but the the boring uh, listener way or anything like that. What, what's how often are you posting content? Um, we do across each podcast. We have one episode a week. So we post one on gotcha. a Monday and one on a Wednesday. Um, okay. We ran a virtual summit earlier this year, which is still available for people to sign up and, and watch if they want to. Uh, and I, I, I toy with the idea of kind of like a bite-sized daily episode or something else, but I've got so many ideas at the moment. I need to filter them down to the one that's actually going to has the best chance of success. So, so yeah, I have far too many things I could do. I've just got to work out what I should be doing. That's just the thing. Like yeah. Well, it was funny. Uh, like you, I think I, I told uh, people, I was telling the story of we started this podcast last uh oh my gosh uh almost a year and a few days ago and i did the math of how much content we were putting out there content meaning episodes everyone uh and listener and it came down to 1.8 1.9 1.9 1.9 1.9 
per working day or something like that. And it was like one every two or three days, similar to that context. But then people, I think maybe my advice to you, uh, if you, if you could for the inspiring podcaster, if you're listening to people, lots of more people are like, I want to do a show or I want to host a something or have be in this forum. My, my advice always to people is be consistent. Um, there's all these statistics from all these different platforms that say, you know, there's all these shows out there, but after there's only so much time or effort that they put on, then they just burn out. It's called the podcast burn, or uh, they, they never post content ever again. And that's not the case, obviously, for you. Uh, I, I want to be in that arena too. How, what's your advice to people when they ask you uh, to get into this, this world, if you will, of podcasting? Um, it's to really think it through because it is a lot of work doing a podcast well. Uh, you know, I invest a lot of time in finding the right guests prepping for the recordings, then a huge amount of time in creating all the flotsam and jetsam that goes around a podcast, you know, the editing, the social media activity, the promotion, and, and there's a lot to it. And a podcast is a hungry beast. Um, you know, you have to keep feeding it. So I guess, you know, more practical advice than that would be, one, don't get overly hung up on the tech, um, on the hardware. I did when I started and I ended up with a crazy good podcast microphone, which is brilliant now, but at the beginning was not necessary. And working out how it worked took me, probably delayed my launch by a month, my, really? my neuroses about the hardware. So don't get hung up on the hardware. This microphone I'm on right now is what I do when I'm on other people's podcasts. It's what I use. People's other hosts seem to love it. And I think it's about 30 pounds, which is about right. $40. Yeah, mine right here. Mine right here is no more than a hundred, but I mean, there, there is what that I constantly look at and I, yeah, I agree with you to add on, if you will, uh, Chloe, I say people just start, be consistent, but then you know what? People are like, what if I, I start and I don't like what I see? Guess what? Change it next episode. Like it doesn't yeah. matter. Like you have to create your consistency. I've changed my background. I changed my microphone. I changed we're on StreamYard right now where, where there's all of these different nuances of, you add on to it, but you don't need to take away the content. Like if you center it, center it, center it around content and you don't do simple things like mute yourself at the beginning of an episode of like, if I'm going to poke myself uh, and joke at myself, but uh, do things like that where, you know, it's really consistent, precise, and you know what you want to talk about and what, it, what you want to get out of each episode. Mm-hmm. It's really the, some, we talk about simplistically uh, getting focused. That's what you should do. So I appreciate that. Any parting words before we wrap up today's episode um, from you or ex- things that are excited which, about? Which you picked up on earlier, which was keep optimizing, which is my own personal mantra as well as the name of one of my podcasts. And it is something which we should all live our lives by, which is to identify what's bad, stop it or make it better. Identify what's good and do more of it. And you should be doing that with every element of your business as well as quite probably every element of your life. So uh, my my parting words would be keep optimizing everybody. Well, I appreciate that. And that, that, those are good words to part on. And uh, thank you so much again, Chloe Thomas of, uh, you know, you, you, e-commerce master plan, I would say podcast, uh, you're, you're in, you have your hands in all these different things. I know I'm, I personally am subscribing to the podcast and I can't wait to listen to more and more content as you're going to be putting that out there, but can't wait to see where your growth is. And, you know, I appreciate your time that you just spent, uh, you know, from Cornwall, uh, to talk with us, uh, lowly people here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and then all the listeners, wherever you're listening to. Uh, thank you for joining Crossover Commerce and my corner of the internet today. Well, uh, 
Thanks, Chloe. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, wrap up real quick. Again, everyone who is on CrossFit Commerce uh, and listening to us, thank you so much for hopping on episode 146. We appreciate you spending the time, uh, your 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 currency that, again, I always uh, say to every person, the currency that you don't have on everything. Everyone has time, but if you're spending with us, we appreciate that time. Hopefully you found all this exciting and uh, everything that we talked about in terms of waiting through these crazy times with Chloe Thomas. Again, go ahead and check out her podcast, go ahead and subscribe to your channels and uh, just ch uh, check out e-commerce master plan um, in general. That is in the link in the comments and also in the show notes below. I'm Ryan Kramer. We'll catch you guys next time on another episode of Cross Over Commerce. Take care.